1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a very excited and really cool guest, Dr. Sandy Bavakwa. She goes by Dr. Sandy. Give you a little bit about her background. She has a PhD in Molecular and Cellular Biology. She's worked as a research scientist in both university and government settings. She's lectured to the public and to medical professionals around the world since 1986. So we're going to talk about her work. So Dr. Sandy, thank you for coming.
2: Thank you for having me, Richard.
1: Yeah, Tell me a bit about your background and what's, what's your journey been like through the uh, the world of science.
2: Oh dear. Well, I can tell you that I received my PhD. I was working in the field of of human tumor biology, Uh, went on to uh, a prestigious, uh, I was a recipient of a uh, five-year grant for my research at Los Alamos National Laboratory. And uh, what happened while I was there was I got ill. Uh, I wasn't doing well and didn't know what was going on. Decided, fell off, went to the doctor and I was told I had less than a year to live. And uh, then, and I went to a very, very expensive second opinion out in California. And he gave me six months to live. And I told him I liked the first opinion better.
1: What I was t- going on, if you don't mind?
2: Well, it's a long story. I did have uh, immune system failure in many different areas than I had, but there was, it had entered into the realm of cardiovascular health. Uh, they, uh, The physicians all felt that I was about to have a sudden heart attack and it would be fatal. And that, uh, and honestly, that's how people in both sides of my family die. We die of sudden heart attack. So the good news is that didn't happen. That was, let me see, that was 26 years ago that happened. So, yeah. I'm, and I'm doing great. I want you to know that I'm more fit now than I was in my 20s. So, I'm doing great. And, uh, but I had to find my way back. And that way back had a lot to do with balancing my blood chemistry. I didn't know that at the time. And those that did help me along the way, actually the one, the main person that helped was kind of like a curandera, a, a medicine woman who unbeknownst to her or to me, she was able to, to help balance my blood chemistry and uh, assist my body with uh, detoxification pathways that I do not run very well. And so uh, that was my way of getting well. And I'm a numbers person, Richard. I love numbers. I remember numbers. I remember every phone number I've ever had in my life. It's an affliction. I was watching my own blood chemistry as I was getting better and noticing that certain ratios were shifting with lifestyle and with dietary changes and with nutrient changes. So as I was using different types of things that practitioners were giving me, I was watching myself either get better or worse. And I learned during those years how to read blood chemistry. And that's what I do for a living, really. That's the main thing. But I've learned that part of what throws the blood chemistry off and what throws the organ function off, And the immune system off are the chemicals that we're getting exposed to in our environment. So environmental toxicity has a lot to do with why blood chemistry does not remain in balance for a person. And that's why genetically we tend to develop the same diseases, but that this process is still happening within that family. It's not that you have, it's not that in my family, we always get heart attack. It's that we're more susceptible to the underlying condition that causes the heart attacks. And I had to determine what that was and balance it out for myself. I have no cardiovascular disease, any signs of it whatsoever now. And I can tell you that absolutely for certain. I track my blood chemistry fairly well, as you might imagine, because I, I actually want to be here.
1: Did you ever find out what was going on you know, back in the day with why people in your family were you know, suddenly having heart attacks and dying?
2: Yes. And I kind of answered that, but not very specifically. Uh, part of what is going on for us is that we have a difficult time processing certain of our nutrients. When you take a nutrient in from food, or even if you take it in from a, a vitamin, you have, your body has to do things with that vitamin. Like for instance, uh, uh, let's say it's a, a B vitamin, like a B12 or a folate. Your body has to activate it and, and methylate it in order for it to function in the pathways that it that need it to be there. right? So we have certain pathways that don't do that very well. For instance, my body, I can tell you that in our family, we have certain mutations in genes that haven't actually even been discovered yet. I'm really good at genetic analysis. And I can tell you that there are people that can't do certain types of B vitamin processing. And the genes for that have not been discovered yet, but they will be And I know it, I can see the fallout from it in certain individuals. And what was going on in my body, I've actually found now in about, eight other individuals, which is kind of interesting. I'm not the only one. Uh, So is it
1: a, are these molecular pathways or these particular levels of hormones or enzymes or other biomarkers?
2: Well, so I can't process B6. That's one of the things. If I can, if I supplement with B6, or if I take in a food that has had B6 added to it, or for whatever reason, if I take in too much, I can become B6 toxic. And what that means is that I cannot run any of, uh, for instance, the liver detoxification pathways that require B6. I do very poorly with that. And so for me to be able to get rid of environmental toxins that require certain, let's say, the cytochrome P450 uh, pathways, these are liver detox pathways. And think of them as little like detoxification machine. Uh, When you run your car, you need to put gas and oil and different fluids into it to make it run. If it doesn't have those fluids, it can't run. But your body will continue to function even though there's certain pieces that don't run real well. I couldn't run certain detox pathways, and that meant that my body in, uh, attained more toxicity in those path. Uh, that oh, let me see those pathways weren't running. So whatever needs to go down those uh, those uh, um, through those machines to get out of your body were building up in my body. And it turns out, this is what happens in my family. This is what we do. And it also causes immune system problems. So if the immune system problems are not caused by the inability to process b 6 they're caused by the buildup of the chemicals that, that are there interfering with the immune system as a result of not being able to get rid of the chemical. So that's what happened in me, but it took me, I'm gonna say 25 years to figure that out, uh, to actually put all the pieces together. So when I how, did, how
1: did you figure it out, by the way?
2: Well, it helped that as a graduate student, I taught molecular genetics and that allowed me to learn. And I, I got my PhD in molecular and cellular biology. So I knew a little bit about genetics and, and what the SNPs actually were coding for. And I'm I'm really, I'm a track biochemist. I love biochemistry and I love the biochemical pathways and I kind of absorb that easily. It's kind of like the numbers thing. So I realized is, first of all, everyone, everyone has mutations in at least a few of their detoxification pathways, their phase one or phase two liver pathways, your, your kidney pathways, your ability to process alcohol or cannabinoids. And these, these SNPs, most of them, well, I can't say most, many of them we can test for easily by just doing a, a simple genetic test with uh, like 23andMe. And once you have that raw data, it can be put into other types of reports. And now I'm starting to gather the information that I need about that person. But the main information that I need comes from basic blood chemistry blood chemistry that you get done with a physical. And that tells me basic information about how the liver and the kidneys and how well balanced the electrolytes are. And we also look at hormone. Hormones are really, really, they they need to be in balance with each other to have great health, to really feel happy in your life, to have awe in your life. It must have balanced neurotransmitters and hormones. And the, that balance can be thrown off by the build-up of certain types of chemicals in your system.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius Podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives in our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000-plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show.
2: So depending on the person and what you're getting exposed to in your particular environment, and how good you are at getting rid of whatever you're getting exposed to. Now we have the perfect storm that creates whatever it is that's going to take out that person, probably. It's like, did that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. When I had (laughs) blood work done, you know, I noticed that the level of whatever it is. It'll be from A to B. Let's, I'm just making this up, you know, let's say it's one to five. I've noticed yeah. what a doctor will do is if my level is 4.99 and they say, oh, you're fine in your range. But if it's 5.001, oh, you're at a range and now you need medication. Or if it's yeah. 1.01 or 0.99. But have you found that um, if someone's in range, but if they're in the middle of the range, how is that different from at the bottom or the top of the range? And is that a, a problem that needs action?
2: That excellent question. And that, and you're, you're right on board. The optimum Range the optimum um, place placement in the range. Sometimes um, the optimum for one individual might be very different for another individual. It, the optimum might be at the bottom of the range, the top of the range, the middle of the range, or have nothing to do with the range, but has to do with the ratio with another parameter that was tested. So you have to run ratios, and I do a very uh, detailed analysis when I take in blood chemistry. I will spend sometimes eight, 10 hours doing a full-out analysis on that blood chemistry. So when I meet with someone, I'm going to have a lot of information for them as to what's going on and maybe, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't prescribe, I'm a PhD, I, I'm not an MD, so I don't, I don't diagnose, I don't prescribe, but I teach people what about their biochemistry. I can teach people about their genetics and what's significant and what's insignificant because a lot of genetic profiling is not significant. Uh, What's more significant is your own lifestyle. So like think of genetics as being 25%, but it does set you up for possible disaster, if that makes sense.
1: What would be an example? Like, I don't know, has anyone had a chain of, let's say four or five different markers that all coincide that point to a pattern? You know, are there any patterns that you see, again, where multiple markers are going in a certain direction and that tells you what's going on with the person?
2: Okay, so let's say I have a person that uh, presents with their cholesterol is extremely low their hormone levels are also on the low end of the range or below the range so they don't have much in the way of hormones and they're they're feeling it they've got no libido and they, they uh let's say it's a it's a guy and he's noticed he's put on weight and he's not very happy he's kind of depressed and he's having a hard time thinking and like his memory's not quite right And he's not really wanting to hang out with his friends anymore. He's not as gregarious as he used to be and he's losing muscle and he's just not a happy guy. And the doctor says everything's perfect. And I look over this and I say, gee, your, your cholesterol is ultra low. You're, you need cholesterol to make your hormones. You cannot make hormones without it. All of your hormones come from cholesterol. So, and he's like, you know, normal is like 180 to 200 and he's at 125. He has hardly any, it's barely enough to get your brain to function. So I say, you know, is there any chance you're taking a medication that's decreasing your cholesterol? And he says, yeah, my doctor gave me this, you know, the highest dose of the statin drug. And well, that's why he doesn't have any hormones. And so maybe it's medication induced. Maybe it's environmental toxin induced. I have a young man that is uh, actually, he's nine years old right now. When he was three years old, he had a brain tumor. His parents, uh, he did receive a treatment for that. Um, the parents had, uh, had chosen a particular type of treatment. I was brought in just for blood chemistry analysis and for nutritional support, and he
0: survived. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: Now he's nine years old. And he, they did a, a follow-up PET scan, and they found a spot on his brainstem. And, um, but he also had some symptoms that went along with this. He started to fall down, and they thought it was a new brain tumor. And uh, it turns out that they had given him braces. He had a particular type of braces to help him with the, uh, the shape of his jaw. And um, I actually am sitting here looking at his uh, heavy metal testing, And he has a massive amount of palladium and a goodly amount of nickel in his system. And that's what I had suggested. I said, you know, his symptoms also meet uh, possibly nickel or palladium or um, palladium toxicity. Could that be it? it, Did you have any metal put in his mouth? Oh yes, we just did braces. So what he, and the, and the, uh, the neurological radiologist also looked at the PET scan and said, this this spot here on the brainstem could be an artifact from the brace. Could you take the braces out and let's redo this? Now unfortunately his gadolinium is also through the ceiling. And that means he's been got he's gotten a lot of PET scans and gal- gadolinium is the tracer in the PET scan. So this kid is actually in danger of something we call gadolinium syndrome. And we don't necessarily want to give him more of that. Um, so they want to redo the PET scan. And I'm like, Ooh. You know, check, check this out. You might not want to put more, more gadolinium in him. We might want to detox him from the heavy metals. And so that's what happened. And he now has no symptoms. He's not falling down anymore. The braces are out and he is recovering. And they did redo the PET scan and the spot has gotten smaller. It's not gone but it's not growing. So that's very exciting. And that means that it probably was due to the braces and heavy metal toxicity. Okay. That's the idea. Look at the chemistry. The chemistry tells you everything.
1: So what type of medical procedures seem to have quite a bit of unintended you know, toxicity or side effects? Is it braces? Is it mercury amalgam fillings? Are there other things that people are involved in that seem to you know, commonly cause them this hidden toxicity?
2: I'm going to say that in general, many people, especially people in their 50s and older, are on multiple medications. Uh, usually, they're medications that I can't tell you how often I run into people that are taking medications that actually interfere with each other. They're contraindicated, and they run into liver and kidney toxicity issue, heart issues, breathing problems from the amount and the combination of medications they're taking. Many, many people have problems with over-medication and in one Uh, case there was a a young man he was 20 years old he was in the hospital with outrageous uncontrollable nausea Um, it turned out that he was in both kidney and liver failure he was on 17 medications from five different physicians none of whom were talking to each other in some cases the medications were double dosing being double dosed from two different practitioners but you know one's with one pharmacy one's with another so they're not crossing over one's a generic one's the common type so no one's catching it and so what i did was i got all the physicians on the line together and found out who wanted to be the primary and, and to look over this case because he was in the hospital basically dying and uh, as soon as many of the medications were taken out of his system he recovered
1: Yeah, a, a while ago my um my wife started taking metformin and, um, you know, she wasn't feeling well. And I, I read up about it and I, I saw that it depletes B12. So I told her about it. And she asked the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it does have some B12. And I, I was like, why do I have to look this up? And, you know, but it made me think if someone is on a medication for years and years and years, what's happening to all their background levels and where are they trending because i would think that many medications i don't know about all but probably many cause certain levels to trend in a certain direction and after years you could be significantly sick because of it
2: yes exactly and that's a great example and we see this all the time in fact richard years ago you were reminding me of a client i saw years ago you know you're you're coming up with exactly why people hire me to be their medical advocate I go over their medication, and I speak with physicians every day in a very gentle way, and I let them know what we're finding, and then they're happy to make changes once they see the science behind why their their patient. I mean, the doctors don't want to harm people; they want to help people. They really do. Um, But sometimes they don't have the time, the inclination or the education to really look deeply into a person's biochemistry. And that's why it's so important to at least, I mean, I I have people at least once every five or 10 years, have your biochemistry run. Uh, And we look at minerals, we look at hormones and neurotransmitters, we look at as much as what a person wants to do. And then my job is to come up with basically a menu. Okay, so we, we found this issue here's the different ways that you can broach it. Like your wife might find something different than metformin, or she might supplement her B vitamins. And that's still, she still might have a problem because metformin does cause symptoms in a lot of people, but there's other ways to go. Lots of people are getting over uh, their blood sugar stability problems, and even type two diabetes. And even some of the type one diabetics uh, can get off of or almost completely off of their insulin using lifestyle instead of medication. And the cool thing about lifestyle is there's no side effects. Are
1: there, um, this is what I was trying to ask you before, but they're very common archetypes. Like the examples you gave seem to be very unusual and rare, but like, what are the most common archetypes? You know, someone headed toward diabetes, is that a com- common one? Someone headed towards oh. kidney failure. Someone headed towards heart disease. Do you have like, you know, again, archetypes like that that you see very commonly? And if so, like what's one of them or two of them?
2: Yes, yes and yes. Uh, I, it would be silly to not mention diabetes, type 2 diabetes. I have um, had clients with uh, uh, type 2 diabetes that are 8 and 10 years old. And that's because the children are taking in sodas and sugars and crackers and cookies, simple carbohydrates. All day long, sometimes 12, 14 times a day. That is all that they're eating. Um, So type 2 diabetes is an epidemic, clearly. And that goes along with carrying extra weight on the body. But I'll tell you what else goes to carrying extra weight on the body. The obesity is being driven by whole body toxicity. If the body has a toxin, it's like I liken it to having madmen coming into your house. They've got sledgehammers and they're doing damage. And what do we do? We can take all those mad men, stuff them in the closet and close the door. And they can't do much damage now. And that's what the body does. It takes the chemical and puts it into, like I'm running into a lot of styrene, acrylamide, plasticizers, pesticides, herbicides, gasoline additive. Oh my God, the amount of gasoline additive has gone through the ceiling recently. And so the body takes the molecule and it changes it from being wanting to be in water to wanting be, to be in fat and so from hydrophilic to lipophilic. And when it it looks for that little fatty closet to stick it in. So the body then will uh, change your hormones such that you develop more appetite. You'll eat more food, gain weight, and that gives the body a place to put the chemicals. And if you try to lose weight, you won't be able to lose weight. You'll, you'll get sick, Or you'll uh, develop amazing appetite. You can be the weekend warrior. And then all of a sudden you're starving because your body is trying to save you. It will self-medicate by making you gain weight. And that is what a lot of people are, are dying from. And those chemicals can be carcinogens. They can be causing autoimmune disease. That is a major issue. But the other piece that's really a big thing that I see is people are suffering from hormone imbalance. The hormones are being thrown off, Um, and I'll say second to that, neurotransmitter imbalance. That's why so many people are shooting other people. (laughs) Now, do I know that for sure? No, I'm not testing the shooters. But I'm going to say to you, when hormones go off, you get depressed, anxious. Uh, There's all kinds of symptoms. Hypothyroidism, or what we call subclinical hypothyroidism where people have they tend to gain weight more easily because their metabolic rate drops they get cold, the hair falls out, they lose their libido. Um, these are all symptoms irritability, mood swings. I run into children that have lowered thyroid function and they're they're very unhappy kids and they're having all these symptoms now the kids haven't developed their libido yet, but they're irritable they're also constipated. Uh, Because when your thyroid goes low, you can't get your bowels to move properly. The the transit time is controlled by that. Some people will develop cold hands, cold feet. These sorts of things tend to run a little bit cold. And some of the low thyroid is being driven by stress. And that's another piece that I see a lot of is adrenal fatigue. People are exhausted. Uh, They're getting exposed to chemicals. So that's a stress. The, I mean, COVID is stressful. Uh, Not being able to see people's, half of people's faces and not being in community is stressful. Adrenal fatigue was already an epidemic before COVID. And now it's even worse. And when the the adrenals, they're very, very sensitive organs. They live like two little hats over your kidneys. That's where they are in the body. And when they are squirting a lot of cortisol because you get stressed out, it causes people to want salt because you'll lose more sodium. And what I see in the blood chemistry is the sodium to chloride ratio will get thrown off. This is something I see often. When I see that, I know I'm dealing with a stressed individual. And now it's time to, to either speak to the physician or help these people look at their adrenal function or the adrenal function of their child or you know their loved one and see if in fact the adrenals have crashed. If they have that, these are the people that are having a hard time sleeping at night. Their circadian rhythm is off. Um, and it doesn't help if the person is gaming all night long. So,
1: yeah. uh-huh. right. As, See, as you're talking, I'm like, I need Dr. Sandy for me. I need it for my wife. I need it for my kids. And my life.
2: Well, yes, we need to have balance brought back into our body. And people need to learn about ways to do that. That works for them. And that's why, I mean, I never prescribe. I'll give people a list of things to do. I'm, I produce menus. And you go to the restaurant, you choose what you want to eat. I produce menus. It's like, okay, we have this problem. Here's six or seven different ways to fix it. And you might look at the list and say, there is no way I'm doing that first one. But the second one I can do, and the third one, I'm already doing a little bit of that. I could do more of that. So now you are selecting how it will work for you. And that's how compliance works. That's how people have greater, higher compliance and how they get well, because they're choosing the their way that they're caring for their body. That's what works. And I do think that we have a world, you know, especially again with COVID, that people are eating really poor quality food. That is an epidemic as well. Take out food. It's not good. The restaurant is not purchasing food for your health. They're not looking at your blood chemistry. They don't know what kind of foods. They just want to make things that taste delicious and are as cheap as hell so that they can make a buck. And that's their job is to make something that, you know, you're going to enjoy eating, but it's your taste buds that enjoy it and it's not necessarily going to be good for your blood chemistry. People need to know what are the best foods for me, for this body that I'm living in and everybody is so different. It's incredible. So it's good to have that information. And then some of what I do is I help people. I'm kind of a foodie. So I help people with, you know, recipes and learning how to take in that cool food that you've never eaten in your life. And, you know, how can we make it so it's going to meet your palate's uh, requirements? And that sometimes is all the difference, especially for young people or people that are very picky with their food.
1: What, what happens if someone has a buildup of, you know, a substance, a heavy metal or some other substance, you have protocols that you can tell them about to, uh, you know, the chelate or to get rid of a buildup of certain things.
2: Yes. And I'll mention this, especially with heavy metals, chelation is not always the right choice for each person, but what they have in their body will determine how to get rid of it. Like what's the best way. Some I know, like, a, there's practitioners that will, you know, take somebody with heavy metals and just to put them on an EDTA uh, IV chelation. Now, EDTA for some metals, it grabs it up and holds onto it really well, and then it will go out through the kidneys. But for other metals, it doesn't hold onto it very well; it lets it go, like lead. So, if it, if you're using EDTA to get rid of lead, it grabs it and lets it go, and grabs it and lets it go. So now we've, we've gotten the lead and lead likes to hide in bone. So we've gotten it out of the bone now in the bloodstream, which means you're in danger. You've now let the madmen out of the closet and they can do damage to nerves, nerve tissue. So it's a neurotoxin. So the more you let out, the more damage can happen. And so it's really important to not use EDTA. There are other ways of getting rid of lead and it has to be done slowly and carefully especially when you're dealing with a little kid, they can't handle that. And they're going to go off the deep end if you, if you try to chelate a child. So, and some people can't handle it too. It depends on what else is going on with you know hormones and neurotransmitters. So I'm going to go back to something we talked about just a bit b- before. Sure. Heavy metal toxicity is so common and it's very, very stressful for the body. Even if you're not chelating lead, your bones are constantly breaking down and releasing and breaking down and rebuilding and the lead comes out in the blood it goes back in it's like you know it's constant movement of lead in the body so now the government finally has said no amount of lead is appropriate none and um so a lot of people are getting i mean almost everyone i've tested has at least some lead in their system above what is allowed by the government and i test a lot of people So that means we have to get rid of the lead and the lead is constantly stressing. And remember before I talked about adrenal fatigue, I've seen a lot of adrenal fatigue driven by heavy metal and environmental toxicity. Now the adrenals are part of a system of endocrine glands and a lot of uh, practitioners know it as the HPAT axis. H-P-A-T is hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenals and thyroid. And I like to think of them as brothers in crime. They are constantly speaking to each other. They whisper in each other's ears and they're constantly uh, working off of each other's uh, activities to be able to be successful. And if somebody gets really stressed and their adrenals go south, then the next one to go is the thyroid. Now you have somebody gaining weight and they're not happy and there's all kinds of issues going on going on, they're constipated, and then then the pituitary, after many years, will start to fail. And hypothalamus, that is the key to the personality to a person. And I run into people that have failure in some cases of two, three, four of these organs, and they are suffering. That is no way to live your life. And nobody's picking it up. This is something that's going under the wire. People are not realizing. And that's the other thing. There's a lot of natural ways out there, foods and herbs that can be used to stabilize hormones. You don't have to be taking medications to do this. And oftentimes the medications, well, sometimes they can help and sometimes they can hurt. It depends on the person and what they can handle. So that is very common, amazingly common.
0: Yeah,
1: you so you mentioned food and you know, a lot of people get take out door to all that stuff. So they're being exposed very quickly and easily to, you know, bad food from restaurants. What other, um, like, you know, how do people get these heavy metal toxicities? How do people get these other, you know, exposure to other chemicals, plastics, etc.? Like, what are the most common places you see that your clients are interacting with stuff that gets into them that makes them sick?
2: Okay. In those that are willing and able, I, there's five types of tests that I do. There's an environmental toxin test, heavy metal test, a, uh, an OAT test. O-A-T stands for organic acid testing. That's more for me than for them because I get to see which of the pathways are working well and which ones need support. And then I also look at mycotoxins from mold and I look at glyphosate. Glyphosate is Roundup from, you know, the, all the uh, GMO uh, farming that we're doing now. So they use a lot of Roundup. So I, you're you're asking where about the like where is the exposure? How is the exposure happening?
1: Right, like glyphosate. you mentioned restaurants, but where else? What are the other common exposure points?
2: Okay, glyphosate now is being tested for all over the world in uh, the Arctic Circle, in Antarctica. There is no airspace on the Earth that doesn't have detectable glyphosate. It's everywhere. We are living in a cesspool. There's chemicals everywhere. And, but your, your question is a good one. It's like, are people getting heavy exposure in certain areas? And the answer is yes. I see a lot of uh, like herbicides and pesticides in the farm belt. Places that used to be one of some of the healthiest places to live, like in Iowa, there's uh, the Cherokee and Storm Lake uh, area in Iowa, where there's more cancer than anywhere else in the country. And the reason, and they're seeing, they're starting to see Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, in children under 12 years old. It's never been seen before. And that has everything to do with the toxicity of the environment. And when I've gone there to give lectures, I've gone to people's homes and their windows are spattered with the aerial spraying. It's like really disgusting. I go there and I was, I was horrified. I'm like, I was at the house of a, of a young lady with ALS uh, to visit with her and to visit with this family. And their house was completely spattered from aerial spraying on the local farm fields. We're all getting exposed, to, though. We're getting exposed in the air, the water, the food. But I will tell you this, even though there's so much exposure out there, the people that are really suffering from chemical buildup, uh, if I look at their genetics, what I will see is that the biggest buildup that they have are in the chemicals that are supposed to be, like our body knows how to get rid of these things. Most of the chemicals we're getting exposed to, our body has ways of getting rid of it. But in an individual that has massive amounts of something, that pathway will have a mutation or two or three mutations. And it's, it's like a pathway that's broken and that pathway is not working. And that's why that person was building up that. That's what happened to me it was my genetics that were blocking me from certain pathways and that was where the environmental toxins i believe were building up in my body but i have to tell you that i detoxed my body well before the toxin testing that i do now was even available toxin testing is now available we can find out pretty much what's inside of a person's body not every single toxin but uh, we can get we can get an idea we can get classes of toxins It's so cheap to go online and go get your genetics run. It's not that. It's all, let me see, it's doable. Doable to have blood chemistry, toxin testing, and maybe run the genetics. And all of that together is stunning how much information you can get. And that's how you protect somebody from going into cardiovascular disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, and probably cancer too.
1: It sounds like everyone's under assault from many different places. And I guess yes, if they have a, uh, you know, a genetic mutation or some pathway that's corrupted for some reason, that's going to be their weak link, and that's probably what's going to get them or start the cascade of, of ill health. So it seems like is that what you've observed, or does it yeah, seem to happen I, to I some mean, people and there's no reason why?
2: There's certain things you'll pick up in the blood chemistry if they do toxin testing. We pick that up, and those are those are little kits that you get at home. They're urine kits that we. That are you know easily sent to someone, and you just do a urine sample and send it in, and we find out what's going on, what's coming out. But we uh, and the genetics tell us what you can, what you're really good at getting rid of, and what you're not so good at getting rid of. And now that, uh, for instance, marijuana is becoming more uh, readily available and, and legal in many states, I when I'm running genetics, I run into people that. Yes, that would be an appropriate choice for them, perhaps, and other people, that they cannot process cannabinoid. And if they do try that, they can get very sick. So we can pick out who are those people. We now can figure out what is we can figure out what chemicals or what medications would be more appropriate for one person and not for another. Maybe your wife doesn't process metformin very well. And maybe that's why it made her feel bad that that a small amount can be a larger amount in her if she's not able to get rid of it. So that's, I'm not saying that that's true, but I'm just using that as an example. She might not be able to get rid of it, but she might do well on the tiniest amount because she can't get rid of it. She might, you know, kind of a cheap drunk.
1: Well, very good, Uh, Dr. Sandy. So how can people get in touch with you for help? Uh, Do you work all over the US or all over the world, you know, through telemedicine or how does it work with you?
2: I am completely on phone, Zoom. Um, we we do occasionally. People do come to this office. They'll fly into uh, this area, but will you know? I work with people by phone and Zoom. Of course, all the information is sent in by usually by email or snail mail. However, people want to do that. Doy conferencias en español también. I'm very fluent in. Uh, Spanish and English, I take care of people all around the world. And I do have individuals that will help me with translation in Chinese, Japanese, uh, French, and uh, Hebrew, so that uh, so I can care for people in multiple languages. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. And how do people get in touch with me, uh, going to Dr. That's D R S A N D Y B as in boy e edward v victor a c q u a.com that website and i'm here in tucson arizona you can give this uh, um, office a call if you like at 520-743-0575 and it's easy enough to email through the uh, website so um, okay. that's how people get a hold of me and i you know I just my heart goes out to the people that are suffering and I know I'm here on on borrowed time. I was just by honestly the grace of God I I found the right people and I found the right solutions just in the nick of time. And so now I know I'm doing the work that I was put here to do.
0: Excellent.
1: Thank you Sandy for coming.
2: Thank you Richard. You take care.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.